holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Et c'est un penalty, oui, 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 oui. Le penalty pour Arsenal, c'est peut-être le tournant de ce match. Et si c'était le jour où Arsenal va s'imposer enfin chez un Big Six, Aubameyang, 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 montre la voix en tout cas. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James... Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I... Good morning. Wow. Hello. Wow, the drama <laughs> of that performance is absolutely apt, isn't it, for this goodly morning? It sure, it sure is. It is a very goodly morning. Very, very goodly morning indeed. Um, yeah. What, what more can we say? Goodly morning. See, I can put a bit of a uh, bit of flange and chorus on when I do it, but you know, live. Goodly morning with a vengeance, really. Mm. I mean, the that's goodly a, morning strikes back. That sounds like a, a a movie title, doesn't it? Goodly morning yeah. with a vengeance, mm. sort of like one of the diehards, except Bruce Willis is just <laughs> dependent on Arsenal results. Well, that's like our lives, really, Andrew. Yeah, that's I like suppose. Our lives. Uh, yes, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I have to say, as a as a child of the eighties who grew up on that Manchester United rivalry in the nineties and then onwards, this really is a, the fixture that gets my blood going more than any other sometimes and I yeah I mean I've missed this feeling of winning at Old Trafford desperately well yeah it's you know it's been 14 years so oh my god I mean that is <laughs> in the such Premier a League. long time yeah like it's not like we've gone there and lost every time we've had some draws etc etc and we've won there in the in the FA Cup twice maybe I can't remember but you know in in Premier League terms uh, 14 years since we won at Old Trafford um I was watching obviously yesterday on Sky and we got the penalty and Martin Tyler said something along the lines of well last time Arsenal won at Old Trafford in 2006 they actually missed a penalty in that game and I was yeah, going shut yeah. up shut up shut the fuck up I in don't fact, remember that. Was the that. first time we've scored a penalty in the Premier League at Old Trafford, I think, because Robin van Persie has also missed one. Oh, that's Gilberto right. Roberto Silva missed one in 2006. Mm. I forgot um, that completely. Yes, I had as well. I really, really had. So, yeah, I mean, there, there was a little bit of nervousness there from me. I was just thinking about it, and I was thinking about the age of someone like Bukayo Saka. I wonder if he remembers... Arsenal ever winning at Old Trafford in the Premier League. He was probably about five when it happened. No, but I mean, what is he now? Yeah, 14, yeah, mm, I suppose. Some people have good memories. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what I was up to at five. No idea. Probably being a little cunt. Yeah, I should think so. I should think so. <laughs> like all of us, I'm not sure singling you out here. Sure, sure. Well, no, I think it's very likely in my case. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, an unfamiliar 
feeling. A real shame, of course, that there were no uh, away fans there at mm. Old Trafford to celebrate it. Without wishing to put a dampener on it, do you think it helped us that there were no supporters in the stadium? I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to know because Arteta was talking before the game about how he really misses the supporters, you know, playing a part in what he's trying to do and what he's trying to build. Mm. Um, mm. And I know that obviously in the UK, you're you're going into a, a period of lockdown, lockdown or more too. restrictions. Lockdown with a vengeance. Yeah, the lockdown strikes back. Um, yeah. You know, and I can understand why, you know, and I think from a, a, I think it's a bit of a shame that, you know, in the, in the nascent stages of what he's doing at Arsenal, including a, a trophy win and an FA Cup final, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that fans haven't been able to share in that collectively the way that they normally do. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't know if it's a help or if it's a hindrance. It's just one of those things that's really difficult to, to, to say with any certainty or to, to quantify, I mean, do we get a penalty from Mike Dean at Old Trafford if there are 60,000, 70,000 Manchester United fans there? I know. I found myself absolutely astonished that he awarded that. I mean, because he was kind of up to his old tricks in some ways. He gave out a few quite early bookings to Arsenal players. He obviously stopped one of our counter-attacks, didn't he? Yeah, um, great interception. Last-ditch tackling, yeah, to prevent us breaking. <laughs> I, did like the, I did like the stat from Orbino who said that uh, Mike Dean has made more interceptions for Manchester United or, or as many interceptions for Manchester United as Scott McTominay and some other guy. <laughs> could be Fred, I don't know. But. Yeah, probably Fred, mm. probably Fred. But, I mean, yeah, uh, I was sort of pleasantly surprised. And once he had given it, I was absolutely convinced that he would take any opportunity he could to even it up. So... Uh, the fact that we made it through the rest mm. of the game without either conceding a penalty or having somebody sent off was a relief to me. But yeah, I mean, well, what a fantastic day. Let's relive it. So yeah, go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Um, can I just say, and I've seen other people talk about this, the the, the team selection debate <laughs> that happens before uh, every game, uh, you know, yeah. the, in the hour... Uh, between the team being announced and the game kicking off is about my least favourite thing uh, with regards to to football and online discourse, if you like. Yeah, um, it's the it's the most uh, sort of poisonous bit of kind of the digital experience of following Arsenal. I suspect yeah. the moment after the team uses an out. Like I'm not saying that people shouldn't discuss it or can't discuss it or anything like that because it is obviously when the team comes out, people are interested in that. They have vested mm. interest in who's going to play, who's not going to play, why is that guy playing? I mean, I get it. I get the discussion. I get the debate. Just personally. I cannot be arsed with it. I took the dogs for a walk yesterday. We did, you know, we do a post on Arsblog News, which has the team news and people leave their comments and they talk about it. I get it. Like, but just for me, I can't get involved. I can't, um, I just can't. There's too much going on in the game itself and after the game. Like, I'm much more interested in talking about what happened in the 90 minutes and then afterwards analyzing that and saying, well, you know, he got that right, he got that wrong, whatever it is. But like mm-hmm. the sort of projecting forward as to what exactly is going to happen on the basis of a team selection, it just, I, I, I just can't. You know, I accept yeah. that. I fully accept that we have opinions on who the manager should pick and everything else. And we're basing it on what we see on the pitch and what we saw in the last game, et cetera, et cetera. And... I think sometimes we forget that the manager is basing his team on what game plan he has, what he's seen from them on the pitch, what he's seen from them 
in training? Who's got a knock? Who's not quite 100% fit? What role does he want this particular player to play against that particular player in the opposition, etc.? So, mm, mm, mm. you know, yeah, there are layers. It, it's like seeing a cast list and being like, well, I'm not going to watch that movie. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you don't know any of the other factors that are going to go into how it f- uh, plays out. And I think, I mean, yesterday... I didn't particularly comment on the teen news either, and I'm glad I didn't because you, you, you're very liable to be made a fool. What the of. fuck has he picked down Lenny for? I mean, yeah. fuck's sake! What was I that? <laughs> fuck, fuck! Well, that was mainly what I did see, you know, in the sort of hour before kickoff, and uh, yeah, I mean, look, that will come back to bite you. But uh, yeah, I, I I will express on here that I my eyebrows raised a little bit at the selection of sure. El Nenny. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was a little bit. Uh, am I going to say disappointed? I thought I, I thought Pepe might have started, and I was a tiny bit mm-hmm. surprised that he picked Willian. I don't think I should be surprised because Arteta has been pretty consistent on that. Mm. And um, you know, I think there was also a lot of discussion in the build-up to the game about would he play Aubameyang centrally. I have to say, I was slightly less surprised he didn't do that, simply because this being the type of game it was, Arteta's plan A you know, arguably kind of did fit the bill a little bit in terms of the way we've played against these bigger teams before. Yeah, I mean, I think that's... um, In the preview of the game that I wrote on the blog, you know, you can't really be super confident when you're going somewhere you haven't won in 14 years and you have Mm. this record against the so-called Big Five or Big Six, uh, the other members of that uh, particular group. As we know, it's been a while since we won one of those games. So it's very difficult to be confident. But one of the things that gave me hope, I suppose, and a little bit of optimism was the fact that in these big games, we seem to have addressed an issue um, that we had for a long time. In that, uh, we it's wrong to say that all the results have been good, but we've won against United, we've won against Liverpool, we've won against Man City, not all of them in the league, we've won against Chelsea. Um, I think a big issue that we all had with these wasn't, wasn't always the results, because I think you have to accept that when you're playing against some of the best teams, you know, you're not going to win every time or you're not going to draw every time. But it was the fact that we just weren't competitive in yeah. the, in those games. And now we are. We really are. You know, you can see that the way we played yesterday and the way we've played in these games under Arteta. I know it leaves another question, doesn't it? It leaves the, well, you know, what what are we going to do in the games against the, the teams that we're expected in inverted commas to beat? That's another yeah, issue. Yeah. That's something we have to address. No question about it. But... If you're coming in to sort of change the mentality and change the perception of who you are as a football club, we're no longer a soft touch in these games. And that's a really significant thing, I think. Yeah, even the ones we've lost have been relatively close, haven't they? It's not like we've been blown away in any of these matches. And mm. I think I think that's a huge thing. I think we've shown we're not a soft touch kind of tactically, but I think also physically. And that was something I noticed in the first 10 minutes of the game, Old Trafford was, yeah. I think it was sort of Gabrielle and party, you know, just uh, plowing into a couple of one-to-one challenges, you know, and coming out with the ball. And I just thought, well, there's a, an assertion about mm. the way Arsenal are playing that hasn't always been yeah. there in these fixtures. And, uh, you know, as the new additions, 
they were obviously a really big part of that. Yeah, there was a moment about a minute or so into the game and this guy, this big imposing midfielder guy picked up the ball and kind of played a scooped pass at the outside of his foot. And I was going, who the hell is that guy? And I realised that I've got to get used to Thomas Partey, like the mm. shape of him. You know the way you can identify every Arsenal player because you've seen them and you know yeah, them yeah, and you yeah. know the, just the shape of their body. It took me a minute just to go, oh yeah, Partey, yeah, he was, he's good. Um, so that's, it's an interesting aspect of, of uh, what you're talking about there, the physicality. And I think there was something, uh, you know, to be said there about what he does and, and Gabrielle, and I'm sure we'll talk about them in a bit more detail uh, as we go on. But um, what did you make of the approach to the game? Because United had a really big win in midweek, mm-hmm. playing mm-hmm. with a diamond. Um, and it worked very well against disgustingly sweet energy drink marketing tool Leipzig. They won yeah. 5-0 or whatever it was. So he stuck with it. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing from, from Solskjaer. Um, but it looked to me like this was something we were expecting and were well prepared for. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, there's an obvious kind of synchronicity to with our own system in that you've got Lacazette as a centre forward who can you know stay on the deepest midfielder and create problems for them there I felt like Bruno Fernandes at the other end of the pitch didn't get into the game at all Um, you know there was a lot of fair bit of talent in that United midfield Pogba and Fernandes but the way in which particularly in the first half, Arsenal handled that tactically, I thought was really Mm. impressive. And Arteta, I think you're right, he came into the game knowing what United would be wanting to do. And the players were really well briefed, you know, to to stop that happening. I I find it, I mean, what did you make of our setup and our shape in this game? Because I've seen a lot of coverage talking about it as kind of three at the back. And I have to be honest, from my you'll see what you see kind of thing. But I didn't see loads of three at the back. I really thought it was much more of a four than than we're accustomed to seeing under Arteta. Yeah, I think so. When I think back on it, I have to look back on it and look at heat maps, which I didn't do, um, which I normally yeah. do. It didn't strike me that Saka was playing primarily as a kind of left wing back. You know, no, that no. didn't seem to be his role. And I think what we saw from Aubameyang was uh, uh, the ability to shift... Um, into different areas. You know, he was central, he was at the back post, he was on the right-hand side when he created that chance for Willian. I think that was in part due to due to Saka being there. Um, yeah, look, I think the, the, the midfield energy and the midfield contribution probably helped us quite significantly because, you know, we, we strangled them from really early on. Really early yeah. on, we pressed them high. They found it really difficult to get out. We intercepted. We forced bad passes. Um, we really set the tone. You know, sometimes you can come out in a game like this and you can sit back and you say, right, let's see what the first 10 minutes are like and we'll soak it up a bit and then see where we are and, and what have you. But really that entire first half, the way Arsenal played was really, really impressive. Really yeah, impressive. I agree. And something we've said on here is, you know, in the absence of us necessarily creating loads of chances through the centre of midfield, mm. you know, forcing errors, forcing turnovers high up the pitch is a really good route to goal potentially for this team. And I thought that's something Arsenal did much better yesterday. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why. I mean, when you see that, you kind of wonder why they don't do it a bit more, I think. Mm. Um 
But it, uh, that aspect of the game was really good. And, you know, we were sort of chasing down, hunting down Lacazette, Aubameyang. Aubameyang was freer to press than he normally is. He wasn't so much out on the left. We almost mm. pressed in a kind of 4-4-2 with him at the top with Lacazette. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that aspect of the game was really good. They just looked really... They looked hungry, they looked confident, and they looked really assured about the plan. And it's interesting, you know, mm. after a week in which there's been a lot of discussion and debate about the merits of what Arteta's doing, I thought this really showed that in the players, there is a kind of unwavering faith, at least in these big games, in that approach, you know. And, and they seemed, for a team that's lost two Premier League games on the bounce, they seemed really secure. Yeah, I think that's... That's interesting because when he talked after the defeats to Man City and he talked after the defeat to Leicester, you know, it's difficult to feel good, is it? Uh, mm. Isn't it? You know, when you when you lose games like that, particularly the Leicester one. But Arteta was kind of a bit more positive about things, and maybe that's in part because you know you're a manager, you want to try and put across a positive message, you don't want to dwell on the negatives, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he seemed to genuinely be slightly encouraged by um, you know the the way his team was performing and what he was getting out of them. Uh, and I think uh, afterwards he said something along the lines of. You know, how did, how did you uh, plan for this game? And he said the first thing we did was create the belief that we could go there and get the result. And you could see that yeah. in the players. They definitely believed. They definitely believed in the plan. They executed the plan um, really, really well. Maybe not quite as well as we would have liked because there was a familiarity, wasn't there, about the halftime uh, experience? Because, well, <laughs> yeah. we were nil-nil. We'd been on top. Um, we created a, a number of really good chances. Um, I think we have to give a nod. I know there are going to be some individuals who get uh, a lot of credit in this particular podcast, but I think we've got to give a nod to Hector Bellerin and what he does on the right-hand side in terms of, um, well, in the first half, he played outside. He played mm -hmm. outside quite a lot. And and from there, I think there was a cross for Aubameyang, which he stretched for at the back post. He didn't quite get there. Yeah, there was yeah. another cross which fell to Aubameyang and he knocked it back to Lacazette. And it looked like a fresh air kick from, well, it was a fresh air kick from Lacazette, but Lindelof got a touch him, just yeah. at the last second, which was really unfortunate. Uh, Bellerin um, then crossed for Saka to head just over. Um, just yeah. before half time, so he was really involved, and then of course he was involved in the in the the penalty. But when you look at where he moved from in that second half to get that penalty, he played in that kind of inside right position. He tucks into quite a lot, um, mm -hmm. and I think that was in response to the way that United changed their shape. You know, making that run, that movement, um, as we saw in the um, was it the goal that El Nenny was involved in in the game that we can't remember but you know what I mean that goal um, where he crossed for <laughs> yeah. whoever it was um, yeah, yeah. you know so there's there's something really quite interesting happening there on that right hand side um, in Bellerin terms anyway I, I think so yeah and, and I think it's interesting we think of this team as having a very left sided bias but almost all the big chances we had particularly in that first half did come mm. from the right um, which is a little bit unusual maybe it tells you a little bit more about the defensive abilities of Luke Shaw as, a, as compared to Aaron Wambasaka, and maybe that's something Mikel Arteta looked at before I mean I I know because we were texting back and forth a bit in the first half you were quite frustrated with, with Willian on yeah. that flank yeah um, I think he was he wasn't great but you know on every one of those instances that Bellerin gets in I think it is a, a Willian pass and I do think that 
maybe Arteta feels that as a kind of enabler in some ways in these types of games, mm. he offers something into a combination play that, that Pepe might not. I mean, I would have started Pepe, but, you know, I, I do think that that partnership actually mm. was relatively effective. Yeah, we maybe save a bit of William discussion for part two. Um, okay. I think I have a question on it, so we might do that. Um, where next? I mean, the midfield... Well, I suppose, yeah, just... Just to say, I mean, that feeling, that half-time feeling, it was one of slight regret, you know, mm. because Arsenal had been so good and you sort of knew United probably couldn't be so bad that Solskjaer had to change it. You know, he had to change the way his midfield was set up. And indeed, he did do that. And briefly, it seemed to spark some life into mm. them. But yeah, I, w- I was concerned about the chances we had let go as while being enthused about the performance we'd produced. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's really uh, familiar. You know, when what happened against Leicester happened, we played well, didn't take our chances, and then they sucker punch us. And, you know, it, it felt like a similar kind of thing might arise. But I don't think there was a great deal of threat from United. You know, the the way we defended, um, and I don't mean simply the defenders, I mean the team... Uh, mm-hmm. They really, really worked hard. They stayed organized. They stayed compact. When United had the ball, there was this shape that was extremely difficult for them to break down. And I also mm-hmm. think that we had some good defensive performances. I mean, um, Gabrielle and, and Rob Holding. Yeah. I've got to give some credit to Holding here, you know, coming back from injury earlier than expected. Um and that was a big boost, by the way, in terms of the team lineup. I didn't mention it, but I was very heartened mm. to see Rob Holding on that starting eleven ahead of some of the alternatives. Yeah, well, look, the alternative was Mustafi, and you know he's done pretty well under Mikel Arteta. But you know, I don't think he's a guy for the future. And Rob Holding is somebody um, who potentially is still a mm. guy for the future. You know, he's only twenty five years of age. He's just put in a, a great performance. Um, I did the, the Arsenal Vision Instant Reaction podcast last night, and Tim Stillman reminded me that, you know, this was the ground on which he Absolutely. picked up that cruciate ligament injury. Um, you know, almost, almost exactly a year ago, I think. Two, two years. Two years. Two years. Oh. Yeah, it was, I think, December, so maybe a little bit out. But, you know, it was a big performance from him. Um, but both Holding and Gabrielle were booked within a couple of minutes of each other around the half hour mark. Yeah, and yeah. I thought that was that was a little bit worrying. But I liked that neither of them were particularly phased by by the booking, particularly Gabrielle, who got his yellow card for pretty cynical foul, stopping a break. Uh, yeah. You know, in the opposition half, and I think maybe within a couple of minutes. He was right up the back of a United player on the halfway line, hassling him, harrying. He was physical. And it was a really um, impressive piece of defending simply because it just said, look, I might be on a yellow car, but you're still not getting any change out of me. I'm going to be fucking on you for the rest of this game. So don't think that because I've got a booking, I'm going to step off or give you half a yard. I just I really like that mindset. You can't let it inhibit you too much, no. can you, the yellow card? And actually, like, I, I guess the, the two bookings in succession, it wasn't ideal. But I didn't hate them as bookings because I sort of thought, well, that is United's threat, you know, that they're going to release Rashford or Green... Green, What's his name? 
Mason Greenwood. Yeah, is that right? Greenwood. Yeah, <laughs> I just had my—he just fell out of my brain completely in that moment. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we weren't going to let that happen, and, and we sort of tried to shut that down as early as possible. And I sort of think, well, that's the kind of cynicism I quite enjoy. There was only one real time they got away, wasn't there? Leno made a, a decent-ish mm. save. I think it was from Greenwood. Greenwood, yeah. Um, Billy Greenface, yeah. Yeah, old Greenface. But I thought Rob Holding was really good. And I think for all the discussion of Gabrielle, and I think he was outstanding, I don't want Holding's performance to be forgotten because there were a lot of balls he got ahead to or got blocked to. and He was a presence, wasn't he, from their set pieces? It was like, oh, look at that majestic guy rising like a a central defensive salmon in the river of our penalty area. That's a terrible... He was very good in the air, I thought. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that's why Mustafi was was brought on late in the day to sort of help, you know, see out the aerial bombardment. But holding was very, very good. And and you're absolutely right about the booking. I mean, it can really inhibit a defender. It can make a defender not go in for challenges. Neither of these guys seem to let it affect them too much and that was that was really encouraging yeah 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 I, I liked I liked their moxie I liked the way they they defended um you know and you, you're looking for partnerships uh in this team and it's really early um to say that holding and Gabrielle could be the partnership in the same way that's very early to say that let's say party and El Nenny could be the midfield partnership but what we saw yesterday was two very good partnerships uh, on the day they worked and made a big contribution to uh, to how the game turned out so yeah and and I and for me as i say i do honestly think that they were playing predominantly in pairs and i think that you know, Party and, ne- uh, and Gabrielle, we hoped they might be signings that would enable us to do that a bit mm. more, you know. Um, so, yeah, I thought really promising. And, and at half time, I have to say, I mean, on Sky, they did a thing where they sort of showed Thomas Party's highlights uh, from the first 45 minutes. Yeah. And it was quite the showreel. I mean, you know, I think we both said in the build up to this game, we thought maybe Shaka would play because Louise wasn't there and yeah. he's, you know, been such an important player for Arteta until this point. But it was kind of amazing watching Partey. There's just another dimension, I think, to what he can bring in the midfield. Absolutely. I think what we're looking at is a player who is, in quality terms, a notch above anything we've had for quite some time. And that's it all, looks that way. Yeah, after like two, three games, we can see that he is better than midfielders that we've got at the club right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not to be critical of those other players, but it just shows you, you know, um, I think we made this point um, previously, maybe about what Bruno Fernandes has brought to Manchester United. I mean, I still think there's there are pieces missing from an Arsenal perspective. Um, sure. You know, we, we've mentioned that before, but this is... Um, in parte, I think we've got a player who who absolutely adds quality and qualities to the team um, that we haven't had, or we've had, but in kind of limited ways. I mean, I think what's what's most interesting to me is is just um, the mobility that he brings to midfield. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah. and I think when you look at it, and when you um, with the benefit of hindsight, look at the decision to play El Neni alongside him. It makes a load of sense, doesn't it? Mm. You know, yeah. Well, it worked brilliantly in in Vienna. I know a very different fixture, but there was an obvious chemistry or, or balance to that at mm. that point. 
And Elneny is, you know, one of those sort of facilitator players in the squad. And I think, you know, he, he they worked excellently in conjunction. I mean, if you think back, he did start Elneny at Anfield as well, didn't he? Mm. Um, so he clearly has him in mind for these big games. It's not something entirely new. But yeah, I mean, they dovetailed beautifully. And I thought that the other thing about Party, just to say, is I think we are already seeing that there is an aspect to his game that maybe he didn't fully fulfil at Atletico Madrid because he played such a disciplined role there, such a defensive role at times. And a lot of the time his job was just to pass to the nearest guy or you mm. know, one of their ball, ball players. In the absence of a, a natural ball-playing creative midfield player, I mean, he is finding some really interesting passes. I mean, there was one in the first half where he played it into Lacazette, on it, who has had his back to goal on the edge of the box, but he played it about 90 miles an hour, this pass, and it went skip between two United midfielders. I think it was almost too hot for Lacazette to handle, but I love that. I love that yeah. forward impetus in his passing. Oh, well, I, I like players who pass the ball with intent. You know, yeah. I'm, I, I get a bit tired of the rolling it uh, to players. I think there was one where... Could have been holding, absolutely whacked it at Willian on the mm. right hand side as well. And you know, to be fair, Willian took it in, uh, took it in a stride. But but that kind of passing, I I really like. And you're right, you know, he does get it forward. He runs with the ball. He carries it. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. a, a really important feature because we don't have too many players who can carry the ball. There was one maybe late on where he tried to beat a player and we lost possession. And um, you know, in the last few minutes, where maybe he might that. pick his moments. But you know. The, the the quality um, is absolutely there. After two, three Premier League games, people are seeing, um, you know, a player, I think Roy Keane saying afterwards that he would have liked, you know, him to be part of a Manchester United midfield. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so uh, it's hugely encouraging. And I think the way that El Nenny slotted in alongside him was really encouraging as well. Uh, we've said here before, haven't we, that he's a kind of player who, always gives you a measure of consistency. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if, in some ways, he's one of these weird players who's, who plays at the level of those around him, if you like. Right, yeah, Do yeah. Do you know what I mean? Maybe. So, like, if he's playing with a Xhaka or a Ceballos or, or um, whoever else we've had in the centre of midfield uh, of late or in recent seasons, um, whose names I've completely forgotten. I've gone completely blank on whoever we might have had in midfield. But Torreira, <laughs> those kind of guys, you know. Sure. He sort of plays at their level. There are thereabouts. Stick mm. him alongside someone like Partey and he raises his game a bit. And, and certainly this season we've seen uh, more from El Elneny than we have in, in the past. In terms of his... Um, you know, what he does with the ball, whether that's because he's being told to or he's being given confidence or he feels like he has the faith of the manager to do more than just be this kind of facilitator, what, you know, the water carrier kind of guy, just keep the ball circulating. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's it's uh, it's kind of a hell of a story, isn't it? When you consider where yeah. he was and, you know, was he going to be on the outs? He'd been on loan last season and everyone was talking about him leaving and here he is. And look, there's an element of recency bias, and there's uh, there's a bit more to it than than people are saying. But you know, when you see that partnership work the way that it worked at Old Trafford against a team that have been playing pretty well in recent weeks, can't help but um, think about using it on a more consistent basis. Yeah, and, and I think you know there probably will be games where 
Arteta wants a Danny Sabas in there instead or, or what have you. But I do think El Nenny he was a bit of a water carrier, but I mean, he carried that water beautifully. It was presented mm. on a silver tray, you know. I mean, he, he, he wasn't just playing two-yard passes sideways. I mean, he was pressing, he was harrying, he was looking forward. Um, I think we have to, at this point, say that since he came back in the summer, his form has been very, very good. And, you know, I, I, I have to take my hat off to him, really. I think it's it's incredibly impressive the way that he has sort of, you know, fought the, the competition and proved himself to Arteta. I mean, Arteta was asked on Sky after the game about Gabriel and Partey, and he, he offered, he said, and what about Mert, you know, and what about El Nenny? That was the player that mm. he wanted to talk about, which... He also spoke about how he contributes to the culture. I thought that was interesting. You know, I think El Nenny is a big, popular, positive personality. Yeah. And I think Arteta really values that in the group as well. Of course, you've got to do your job on the pitch, but I think he, he's made a really good impression at the training ground and, and that's played no small part in his, his resurgence. Yeah. What did he say about him? He said, I like players with zero ego. Yeah. Which is, I think... Reflective. That, and then he is your quintessential. Yeah, player, I, I mean that's that's part of the the culture that he wants to to bring in. I guess you know yeah. it, it says a lot about the kind of what he's expecting from the collective. You know, everybody's individual, but you've got to be part of the collective. Yeah, yeah. And what about his energy levels? I mean, the guy is oh unbelievable. God. That 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 moment. What was it about? Ninety two minutes into the game. I'm going to yeah. get it here. I've downloaded the game. So I'm going to watch I, it again. I think I texted you saying, oh, Lenny's making me quite emotional because I was like, <laughs> it, it was just kind of astonishing feat, actually, of kind of athleticism and will to be working as hard and pressing as hard as he was in those dying moments. Yeah, I'm going to br- bring this up here again. I mean, every time the subs board came up, you were like, it's not going to be El Nenny. I mean, this guy's got plenty left in the tanks. Okay, yeah, I'm watching this again because United have a corner. I think Nketiah heads it away. There it goes, going out for a throw in. El Nenny's on in the box now. Just watching. He's having a look. So he chases number two, Lindelof. Goes mm-hmm. after number two. Comes across to Luke Shaw, who's this big fat guy, isn't he, Luke Shaw? Checks him back, keeps his position, checks back Shaw again. He plays it back. Is it to Lindelof or Maguire? I think it's Mm. Lindelof again. He basically just fucking runs him out of play. It's brilliant. It's genuinely brilliant um, at any stage of a game. But in the 92nd minute, to have that energy and to have that commitment and everything else, I mean, that's the sort of stuff when he talks, when Arteta talks about. Uh, you know, his personality transmitting itself to uh, the team in the dressing room. When you do that kind of stuff on the pitch as well, mm. it really, really does transmit to those around you, you know? Of um, course. I mean, it's a form of leadership, really, to be doing that. And, mm. you know, it, it, it sends a message. It's pretty inspiring to the mm. guys around. He was he was brilliant, actually. And, you know, if we'd paid, if we paid 40 million quid for him this summer and he'd put in that performance, we would be over the moon about it. As it is, you know, he's the classic like a new sign in the situation <laughs> where, you know, he's come back from loan. We all thought he'd probably be out the door. But, you know... I have to say, I mean, I I did always have a hunch that he was a player Arteta would like. But I think because of that lack of ego, because of that selflessness, and because 
he is such a system guy. I mean, you know, Arteta's, when he spoke about the game, I'm trying to remember the word he used. I think he said we interpreted what we wanted to do well. He loves a player who can interpret his plan on the pitch. And I do think El Nenny is one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, fantastic performance um, from him. And look, you know, from from pretty much every player on the pitch, I don't think there was any lack of effort or desire or or work rate or responsibility. You know, you could see players um, really taking responsibility for, for the roles that they had within the system that, that Arteta wanted. Mm. Uh, uh, what I liked was that, you know, in the second half, yes, United, they changed things around. They had a decent 10 minutes. But the way we sort of gradually reasserted, we sort of got our foot on the ball and reasserted a bit of dominance in the mm. game. You know, even if we didn't necessarily, I feel like in the second half, we didn't really create the chances that we did in the first. That we we certainly, I think, um, dealt with, you know, their switch pretty well yeah. in, the, in the course of the game. Yeah, I mean, the only moment, a real moment of danger, I think there was a Maguire header that went to the back post, yeah, which I might have that. been a little set bit dangerous pieces, on another day. Set pieces, they chucked everybody up and occasionally mm. put us under a bit of strain. But in open play, no. really not so much. No, there was the one that hit the post, and again, El Nenny was involved in that. He just stick a foot out, or stuck a foot out, it hit... Yeah. Um, hit Leno in the face. Hit Leno in the, in the face, and then off the post. I mean, uh, amazing stuff. You need a bit of luck. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you do. Sometimes you do need a bit of luck, but sometimes you earn a bit of luck as well. Um can we talk about the penalty a little bit? I don't want to talk about it from the technical point of view or, or from the, the the winning it. I think we, we spoke about Bellerin's movement and Pogba was laboured, I think. Um, he def- knew, he absolutely knew. Yeah, definite penalty, definite penalty. But, you know, Aubameyang hasn't scored in the league since the opening day. Did you have any doubts? I always do, I think, from the penalty spot with Aubameyang. <laughs> I think the the North London derby one weighs heavy on me, but he really dispatched it well. I mean, were you were you confident? Yeah. They put up the graphic, which showed, you know, the last... Yeah, that was a heartening graphic. Yeah, it was a good one. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think when you look back at the, the way he took the penalty in the North London derby, I know he took one... Was it? I think it was against Man United, wasn't it? In the next game, yeah, yeah, in the almost the very next game, and he took basically the same kind of penalty where he sort of rolled it, looked for the keeper to move. But I think there's there's been a change in the way that he takes penalties. Mm, It seems that way. You know, he he plants them now. There's a bit more conviction in in where he's putting them. So even if the goalkeeper does go the right way, it's going to be more difficult. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, with, with all the pressure of like having to win the last two games, 2006, 2015, since we won away against one of the big teams, you know, um, a big moment. And, uh, you know, he took it very well. He did. He did. And I have to say, um, I was encouraged. I felt like we got him into the game better mm. in this match, even though he was on that left flank. There were a few instances in the first half where he just didn't get on a cross or his control just let him down. He had the shot, which he flashed wide in the second half after Lacazette's pressing, mm. um, which was a decent effort. and should have been a corner, I think. It deflected and no one picked up Yeah, on can I ask you about that chance? Uh, what, what did you make of that ball from Lacazette? I don't want to be critical, but I think he should have played it onto his left foot rather than his right foot. I think he, there was space in behind. Yeah. 
um, for him to go in. I remember thinking that. It yeah. was a little bit behind him. It's sort of a tricky one because on the one hand, yes, it was sort of a little bit not into the space, but on the other hand, it was on his good foot where he probably prefers it. So, yeah, I do know what you mean. I, I thought the same. But I think that was sort of the story of Lacazette's game for me in some ways in that I actually think he... He he gave everything that he had, and he applied himself very well in those physical challenges. But that his execution, you know, was that of a player who's not in particularly good form, basically. And I, that was sort of how I saw his performance. Yeah, what about you? yeah. Look, I thought he was better than he was against Leicester, and I think uh, he faded probably midway through the the second yeah, half, as he always um, does. Really. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's still it's still a bit of an issue. But yesterday. You know, he did win the ball. He held it up better. Um, he brought others into play better. Uh, so, yeah. He gave away less fouls, I think, as well. You mm. know, I think he... he well, there weren't any to... in our half, which was good. None of those clumsy fouls in our half, which is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when you're facing a team who can, you know, like I say, stick Maguire up in the penalty area. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Aubameyang, I thought, was more involved, had more sights of goal, and um, that is long overdue. Yes. Um, what else? What else? What else? I mean, I mean I, uh, first of all, a couple of things that made me nervous. I was nervous about Gabriel when he made that foul outside the box. I thought, yeah, I know you were. We were watching there. That was yeah. yeah. I, I thought Mike Dean might that might be his chance to sort of even things up a bit. I was also a little bit nervous about the changes we made. I have to say, I did worry that we might be surrendering the initiative a little too much. What was um, the one that worried you the most? Was it Aubameyang off Mustafi on? Was yeah, that the one? That was the yeah. one that worried me a little. I mean, as I liked well. I liked Enketia for Lacazette. I thought that was completely logical. You know, uh, Lacazette's race was definitely run by that point, and there was a bit more energy in in Enketia. What else did we do change wise? I can't. remember. Well, Enketia came on for Lacazette. Then there was uh, Maitland Niles came on for Willian for Willian, which, which I understood. Was- yeah, yeah, it was okay. I mean, Maitland-Niles, uh, he drove me mad at one point where he managed to lose the ball in the corner at mm. a time when I really wanted to hold it. But but yeah. again, I could see the logic of that change. It was just bringing Aubameyang off. I just thought in leaving him on, we, um, we, we always had a threat on the counter that wasn't quite there once he went off. I know we were trying to sort of counteract the fact that they put a lot of bodies in the box, but... Yeah, that one made me a little nervous. Yeah, I mean, look, we went to an absolute three at the back then when Mustafi came on and... Maybe more than that, to be honest. Yeah, (laughs) it felt a bit like eight at the back, to be be honest. But it was... uh, Look, I can understand it, particularly late in the game when United's only real threat is... um, trying to create something from a cross or a set piece or a corner or something like that um you put Mustafi on and he is he's decent in the air you know we know that about him he is decent in the air um it does leave you a little bit short of um an option to to hang on to the ball when you do move it but yeah, it's almost just the psychological thing of United wanting to ha- having to leave an extra man back because you got Brian Rekabemiang l- lurking there. But Arteta spoke afterwards and he said, you know, games at this ground are different 
And it's interesting. I mean, Man United score more late goals than any other team in the Premier League. It's almost like the sort of the the ghost of Sir Alex Ferguson on the touchline still is there. You know, Fergie mm. time is still a thing. And I think given Arsenal's terrible record there, maybe there were some nerves among the players. I think that's natural. Um, and it felt I, certainly there were nerves for me. I mean, going into those final few minutes, I was desperate for us to hold on mm. you know because i knew what it would mean and what it could do going forward potentially for this team we got there in the end by hook or by crook and i don't think anyone could argue with the result it's a game that we definitely deserve to win yeah and look i know the last couple of weeks have been a bit disappointing and i understand it i really do when you lose games um yeah, the way we did, it's it's hard to to see the positive sometimes. But I think you have to look back at what we've done so far this season. We've gone away to Liverpool, away to Man City, away to Manchester United. Already, mm-hmm. we've the best defensive record in the league. Yeah, in terms of goals conceded, we've conceded fewer than any other team. Now there is a big issue on the other side of that, which is the amount of goals that we've scored. That's still a problem. And that's something we've got to work out. But we are sitting, um, what is it, four points off the top of the table, having played those three big away games with that defensive Mm -hmm. platform. If we can start to make things click up the other end of the pitch, if we can start taking those chances a little bit more, then I think there are some very encouraging signs here. So, you know, this was a really big win, one we really needed. We had to sort of lay some, some ghosts to rest, didn't we? We did, and I hope we have. And I sort of think, you know, even if the absence of a crowd was a factor, you know, what it will do for us going back to that stadium again, you know, is kind of untold. But I think it will really, really benefit mm. us. And I was, I was, I have to say, I was particularly pleased for Mikel Arteta because he, he came into this game off the back of two Premier League defeats. Uh, something he has experienced before. If you remember at the start of Project Restart, he lost to Man City and then he lost to Brighton and everything was being questioned at that time, his signings, his tactics, his pedigree and he won his next four games, I think, um, which was a great turnaround and he did that making a couple of tweaks. He went to the back three for the Southampton game Mm. and sort of went on from there and, uh, you know, a lot of questions, certainly online, certainly on social media, I think have been asked of this manager since he lost the 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 Leicester game and and different questions admittedly mm. but i i do think that clearly he has got something he has got a grip on these players mm. he is pulling things out of them that we haven't seen for well in this case 14 years mm. and i do think that um he is showing enough potential enough promise to be deserving of of patience and some faith, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised. I know there are still problems, particularly in the final third, particularly against smaller opposition, but it's almost like because of those problems, we, we almost forget how far we've come. And I think we have come a long way under this manager and... Uh, Yeah, I I think he needed this win in a funny sort of way, but I'm delighted that he got it because I think it hopefully quietens a little bit of that down. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, so much is based on on results, which is why I guess uh, Ole Out was trending. Ah, was it? Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. 
Get these uh, clueless guys out of my club with a picture of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his coaching staff right there. Popular opinion. Enough is enough for this tactical dwarf. Ole out. <laughs> Jose lost 13 of his first 100 games as Manchester United manager. Ole has lost 25. Progress? Hashtag Ole out. And I like, like this. I, go, uh, on. Uh, go on, carry on. No, 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 you go. Um, AJ, I am praying that Everton thrash us next week so we can get this clown out of our club and save our season. I'm praying that happens, that you get thrashed too, but I just hope they keep Ollie in. Yeah, get this negative dinosaurus out of our club. <laughs> Losing 6-1 to Tottenham on Old Trafford and parking the bus against Arsenal on Old Trafford. Also putting the best attacker and DM on bench, throwing fans who protest under the bus and defending Glazers. Puke emoji. Hashtag Ollie out. Wow. I mean... Uh, the thing is, Ole out. I, I don't know if I. I don't want Ole out because mm. I think he's kind of doing a perfect job in that he keeps sort of seemingly turning the corner and finding something that looks like it works, and then it never quite building into momentum. Mm. So he's never quite bad enough that they need to sack him, but he's <laughs> never quite good enough that they're going to be really good. Do you know what I mean? He's, yeah. he, for me, he's in this perfect sweet spot. Um, as is Frank Lampard, I think, in some respects. So I'm quite happy with those managers in place. I don't want a Mauricio Pochettino turning up somewhere and actually organising people. Yeah, what that would was, be annoying. What was it that uh, Roy Keane said? Um, you know, talking about Manchester United turning a corner and Roy Keane says, this must be the longest corner of all time. Something yeah, well, they're like walking that. in a, a square, essentially. They're in like a sort of, <laughs> oh, you know, another corner. a grid city yeah. like New York and it's going round and round the corners. <laughs> all right. Well, look, we will leave it there for part one. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. And with new series, episodes, movies, and fresh content arriving every week, AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog on the ArsBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog and on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Wham! I got through the whole thing without making a mistake. Incredible. It must be a goodly morning. It must be a very goodly morning indeed, apart from the fact that um, uh, your neighbor, whatever it is, has got the 
the hedge strimmer out, the leaf blower out, the lawnmower out. That seems to happen every Monday morning. He's a United fan, I think. Mm. You know. And a Tottenham, or a Tottenham fan. fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a terrible person. Speaking of Tottenham, did you see Harry Kane's penalty incident yesterday? Absolutely outrageous. Genuinely, a truly terrible decision. For me, that should be a yellow card, at least, for Harry Kane. Because he does it's that a lot. Dangerous. He does it all the time. He does this thing where he looks at the defender, backs into them, knowing that they're going to jump, and he, he it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. And I, mm. I think it's a, an outrageous decision to give him a penalty for that. Yeah, I thought it was really odd. They need to look at that in the, the laws because it's, well, he's, it's he's not cool. England captain, isn't he? Or is he? Yeah, is he England captain now? Or is I think it sounds about right, doesn't it? He's not but, um, um, old Planet Head. <laughs> Who's that? Harry Maguire. Ah, yes. They say his um, head is as big as a planet. It can't be Harry Maguire, can it? He was well, I mean, got arrested or something. I keep dropping stuff off this desk. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it is Harry Kane. But, yeah, really dangerous play. Mm. I don't like it at all. No, I don't like Son, anything. Son like had that. a little dive in the game as well. Did he? That's not like I him. I think so. Well, I know. Anyway, questions. Questions. Do you want to go first? You go first. Yeah, okay. Josh Clark on Twitter, who's at Josh Clark, says, Are we seeing the beginning of the end for Granite Shaka? Normally a nailed-on starter for a game like this, used in midweek too. Party's influence, Elneny's utility and a massive three points seem to validate his exclusion and highlight his waning importance. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, I saw a lot of stuff going around, like, you know, this is the first time we've won in 14 years at Old Trafford and Shaka didn't play. I mean, he hasn't been here for 14 years, but no. yeah, look, I think we're seeing signs, aren't we, that the dependence that the team has had on him is being lessened. Uh, yeah, they're being know, weaned off. Yeah, sure. he's been substituted a couple of times, which doesn't usually happen. He played in the Europa League. Um, you know, I know he was doing a specific role there because we were short of players at the back and everything else. Um you know, yeah, I think the beginning of the end sounds a bit melodramatic, but I do think we are seeing a move uh, towards something a little bit different. And what you've got in a midfield with Thomas Partey and Mohamed Elneny is this mobility and energy that is so important in modern football in the Premier League. And Chaka for the qualities that he does have, his physical ones aren't necessarily his best right? No. He's not no. that quick. He is a bit slow on the turn. He can be a bit cumbersome at times. So I, I think the football that Mikel Arteta wants to play requires players who are a bit more nimble than him. Mm. So I don't think it's, I don't think he's like, it's, it's over for him. I think he's going to play quite a lot of football between now and the end of the season, but I think we're going in a slightly different direction. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's, like I sort of said in part one, it's one of those moments where you see Partey play in the way he did at Old Trafford and you kind of understand, OK, you know, maybe maybe this is a, an evolutionary step for this team. Maybe we do move away somewhat from Shaka. Mm. Like you, I think he'll still be heavily involved for the remainder of the season. I think he'll play an awful lot of football. Mm. But maybe he's not quite the first name on the team sheet as he has been until now. I also do wonder, you know... Come next summer, I think he'll have two years left on his contract. And I do wonder if, 
you know, I mean, is he a player that Arsenal would would look to extend at that point, or would there be a final opportunity to potentially sell him? I don't know. Depends mm. what sort of market you know there is at that time. Um, but that may be a factor in that comes into consideration, you know, later in the season. I, I think um, it is a bit of a milestone game, though. I think in his Arsenal career, simply the fact that he didn't play, that he wasn't picked, it felt significant. And wasn't he stripped to come on at one point and then didn't yeah. actually? It was when Holding went down and uh, I, yeah. I thought maybe he'd done his calf. Turns out it was probably just cramp, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if they were planning to just drop him in at centre-half or drop El Nenny in at centre-half. I don't yeah. know. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, he'll probably play in the Europa League again on Thursday and that probably kind of tells its own story to a certain extent. Mm. Well, yeah, sticking with the midfield, um, David Waldby, David Waldby, who's at D Waldby on Twitter, says, uh, hi, guys, besides his athleticism, what do you think is El Nenny's, or what do you think are El Nenny's best qualities? I think it's the weight of his passing. It really speeds up playing as something that Arsenal have been lacking. It's a good question. I mean, because he's one of those players who... It's not his outstanding attributes that really catch the eye. It's his kind of ability to, you know, kind of do all things relatively well. Do you know what? There's something in his game that I've noticed I really like. I think he did it He did it in the Community Shield. And I think he did it when we scored against Fulham. Aubameyang scored the great end-to-end goal. He's quite good taking the ball from a centre half with his back. He takes it with his back to the opposition. Mm. and he And he usually just sort of, without turning he just sprays it out to the right back yeah it's quite a simple little turn and move that he does but he does it very very efficiently and it gives us a route out from the back quite often i don't know if you've noticed that yourself yeah i've seen i've seen that um i've seen that pass and i think Mm. i think what's his best quality i don't know if it's his best quality but one thing that you can certainly say about him is that he is really technically secure as a player, mm. right? Mm. He doesn't tend to lose the ball. He can deal with it in tight areas as well. I think he's, his feet are quicker than perhaps people give him a bit of credit for. Um, he finds his passes. Sometimes they're a bit too conservative. They have been in the past, but we're seeing some progress in that regard. But I think if, you, if you're playing with someone like that, you know you can give him the ball and he's not going to lose it. He's not going to get caught. Or very rare. I mean, think about how many times. Uh, I, uh, this isn't to like stick the knife into Shaka, uh, because I've seen this happen to Sabayas as well. Is that they can be turned over? You know what I mean? Mm. With a bit of pressure, mm. if they're facing the wrong way, or if they need to adjust their feet, they can be caught on the ball, and you don't see that happen to Shaka at all. No, to El Nenny, no, no. Or El Nenny, sorry, yeah, yeah, obviously. I, I think also, like, in terms of what is his real superpower, I mean, his stamina, as we were talking about in part one, is obviously fantastic. But I think what that gives him is that he's often available. He's very good at being available for a pass. You know, mm. he's very good at just, you know, having the energy to get away from his marker to, to pick up the space. Um, he, You know, we said in part one, he's one of those players who rises to the level of, those around him and I think that's true to a certain extent but I also think he's someone who makes other people look good you know Mm. I even remember him playing next to Shaka and Shaka looking better for it a couple of times Um, I remember you know if you look at him next to Partey I think he's really kind of doing a lot to kind of amplify his performance I think he's just a really 
he's a good uh, he's a good partner. You know, he's he's a good kind of secondary act, support midfielder almost. And none of these things are, dis- are to discredit him as a player. I mean. If you look at some of the most successful teams, they've often had a player a bit like that, especially in the middle of the park. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think you know I, I had a question lined up from a, from a guy called Mitch on Twitter who said, "When are fans going to start taking Mohamed El Nenny seriously?" And I and I know what he means because perhaps because of certain things in the past, he's uh, been a little bit of a kind of ironic figure. But I think you know at this point maybe he deserves to step out of that and and be regarded as a, a kind of proper player because that is the level he's performing at. Right yeah, now. look, the only thing I'd say is that, that it's worth just having a little bit of... Um, what's How do I put this? Circumspection. Circumspection is a really good word. Like, it's never as bad as we think it is when we lose and it's never quite as good as we think it is when we win, which isn't to take away from any of those things. Mm. I think what we saw yesterday with... Party and El Nenny was really, really encouraging. I'm not taking anything away from that, but I, I reckon we need to just see it a little bit more um, with more frequency to see if it works against different kinds of opposition yeah. as well, you know. But but in terms of the qualities that they have, I can see why why Arteta picked him over Ceballos and why he picked him over Xhaka for this particular yeah. game. So, you know, credit where it's due. He was He was really, really good. He was really good. I've always thought he was like a, you know, a solid, consistent kind of seven out of 10 player most of the time because he does what he does with um, consistency and efficiency, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I can also understand why people were a little bit like, well, this guy plays it a bit too safe. We need something extra in midfield, you know? But maybe Partey alongside a player like that is is how you is how you do it. Yeah, and I'm not sure it will be the the partnership in every game. As I said in part one, I, I do think you know there are games where someone with the passing range of Sabios, you know, might be more appropriate. But I do think you know it's an option, and it's great to be able to look at that and think, well, that's one thing that does seem to be working, and that mm. we could go to again. Um, yeah. I enjoyed uh, this question, by the way, from Andrew Nelson on the Discord. He says, should we be making as much out of beating a big six rival, given that United are currently in 15th and are managed by someone who sits on the bench looking as confused as a dog seeing (laughs) another dog on television? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had a similar question from James Lowe on Twitter. We struggled again to create chances and only just beat a pretty poor bottom half team. How do we solve chance creation against the lesser sides? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something there's something fun about that. I like that's uh, a great description of Solskjaer, like a dog seeing another dog on television and trying to work out. How do your dogs react to dogs on television? Uh, they don't really pay that much attention, to be honest. Fair enough. They're they're more into books. Yes, yeah, they're reading. You know. Yeah. Um, civilized. Of course. Um, Tafka on the Discord says, Good morning, gents. Goodly morning, even. Sorry, Tafka. Uh, obviously happy for the win and think we deserved it. But any worry that we required the penalty to break the deadlock and couldn't convert one of our chances would have loved to have scored from open play against United? Um, any worries about it? Look, I think if we hadn't got the penalty and we didn't score a goal, the the discussion would be quite different this morning, um, which is a question that comes from Paul on Twitter as well, who's at Erzin Spider. 
uh, who says, do nothing to hold post-game narrative is dictated by the results. Slightly different setup, a very similar performance to Leicester. Very good first 45 minutes, don't take chances. Struggling to score the second in the second half from open play. Fine margins, he asks. And that's true. That's absolutely right. You know, I think yeah, but but you know, I saw a tweet we didn't from you to lose the Leicester game. No, right? I don't think we did either. But I did see a tweet from you, something along the lines of, "I promise, if it goes wrong, uh, not to forget <laughs> how good we'd been up until the point where it went wrong." Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, if we, when we concede the inevitable Mike Dean penalty, <laughs> I said it at half time. I promise not to forget everything we did in that first half. And there you go. And um, fortunately, it didn't. You know, I didn't have to make that uh, to make good on that pledge, but I, I do think he's right that the the margins between the Leicester performances are really fine. But I also think in games against your immediate rivals, which effectively Leicester and United sort of are at the moment, mm. is it not inevitable that the margins are going to be yeah. pretty fine? And I think over the course of the two matches, we definitely deserve, for my money, at least at least three points, probably more. Mm, I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't argue. We were well worthy of our win yesterday, um, even if it came. You can't say it's fortuitous because we we made the penalty happen, you know. And also in the first half, I think there was instances, for example, like, you know, when Bellerin whips it across goal and Aubameyang's a yard away, that doesn't get recorded as, you know, a shot or a chance. But I mean, it's half a yard from Mm. us being 1-0 up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There were things in the first half. I mean, again, you know, Willian, it's not a shot on target, but he does clip the bar. There were things that were, given the fact that we were away from home and playing Man United and all those other things that were encouraging. It's true, we didn't create opportunities really in in the second half. Um, but that's where we had the little bit of luck that, that makes the difference this time. Yes. Um, here's, we have a lot of people asking this question. On the okay. Discord, Chris Arsenal says, is Bellerin the only Premier League player to give away foul throws? <laughs> I make yes. that at least three already this season. I have to give a shout out to uh, Roy Pilot, who emails me um, quite often about Bellerin. He says he doesn't know how to take a throw in, which, you know, I, I can't quite agree with, but there is an issue there, isn't there, in terms of some of the foul throws throws he gave away uh, James C who's at Hovanger 21 uh, on Twitter says do you think it's time we hired a throwing coach for the team uh, Reed Bellerin and on this one uh, let me see if I can find it here boom, boom, boom. Uh, Shawno underscore 2k6 who's at Mean Sake uh, or Mean Sake I guess it's Mean Sake uh, says on Twitter, uh, will Hector Bellerin ever perform a legal throw-in ever again? Can we expect an athletic exclusive on the history of Bellerin's throw-ins? Oh, damn, he's seen my notes. He knows what's coming. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, um, wasn't it earlier this season, where was was it Anfield, where Bellerin got pulled up for a foul throw and said, what do you mean? I've, I've thrown like this my whole life. I've thrown like this my whole life. Yeah. This is my whole life I've thrown like this. Um, apparently he's not alone uh, I saw yesterday that a couple of other people in the Premier League are getting pulled up for it now I don't know if it's something the referees have had a conversation about where they're like because I think basically what was happening is that a lot of people were committing foul throws and I think they they seem to be clamping down on it a little bit more I mean it is infuriating isn't it as a mm. fan it is a bit because it's just one of the basics and I'm just looking at the one he got pulled up for um, his his back foot came off the ground um, yeah, as he was yeah. throwing it. So, yeah, um, I don't know. 
I don't know. Should we get I, mad about foul throws? I'm not too exercised about it, but I do think... I suppose when you're holding on to the lead and you've sort of managed to mm. win possession and get a throw in high up the pitch yeah. and then you chuck it back, it is... And actually, actually, annoying. from that throw-in that United took, they had a shot on goal, right. which was the Matic shot with his right ah, foot, yeah. a fairly easy save. So, yeah, um, I suppose it's a pretty easy thing to sort out, you know? You'd like to think so. Yeah. I mean, we have, I know they're saying, should we hire a, a throwing coach? We have got a specialist set-piece coach who presumably throw-ins were within his remit. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a throw-in just after that from Man United, which looks suspiciously like a, a throw-in as well. I mean, I think there are a lot of foul throws out there. Um, mm. uh, but, you know, hopefully someone can put uh, put Hector right. Pat Rice. It's a shame Pat Rice isn't there, you know. As, as a right-back, he would have taken a lot of throw-ins in his time. Sure, he could give him the necessary schooling. But just, it's, it's, base, it's just sloppiness, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think they should probably just change the rules about throw-ins. That's what Arsene Wenger's on about, isn't it? Well, he's Is talking about kick- kick-ins, but that's, yeah. that's not... I don't know about that. But why why can't you just throw the ball however you like? I mean, it is football, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the throw is not an intrinsic part of the game. So really you should be able to fucking jump and do whatever you like. What, just like underarm lob it? Why not? I mean, what yeah. difference does it make? What difference would it make? Like bowl it out like a goalkeeper. If a goalkeeper can throw it out the way he throws it out, why can't players do the same? be mad wouldn't it Can you imagine getting like the 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 kind of new rory delap mark two the guy who can just pick the ball up and fling it with yeah. curve and spin 40 yards down the line to a guy who's making a run make it so make it so I can imagine that happening come on I can imagine that happening um okay let's have another question oh john foster on the discord says goodly morning to you both goodly morning john goodly goodly morning uh, after the game yesterday, I was thinking about how we could have set up in a back four, and I ended up with the same personnel, but with Tierney at left back and Saka as part of a midfield three. I then realised this was actually how we ended up for a lot of the game anyway. Mm. As the game becomes more and more tactical, our conversations about starting formations becoming less relevant? I don't know if they're becoming less relevant, but I think we have to acknowledge that the systems are more flexible and adaptable uh you know in and out of possession than they used to be i mean a mm-hmm. formation used to be quite rigid now you have mm-hmm. players nominally starting in a certain position but playing most of the game in a completely different one you know yeah. um i think that's a good point about where saka played and how we ended up in midfield you know he was slightly ahead of of El Nene and Partey for most of the game, but was that kind of third midfield option. And when you look yep. at where where Tierney played and where where he was picking up the ball, I mean, there was a moment, you know, I think it could have been in that passage of play before we got the penalty, where mm-hmm. United, we had 30-odd, 35 passes and, and kept it moving. And I remember actually shouting at the TV because Tierney had the ball on the left-hand side, right on the touchline, and Saka had made a run down the line and Tierney checked back and played the ball. We kept possession, kept it moving, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But I remember thinking like, oh, he should have played that pass. But that was classic 
um, left back in the left back position and Saka playing as either an attacking midfield player or as part of the front three in terms of the movement that he was making down the line. So, yeah, I mean, we can't say that even if Mikel Arteta nominally picks three centre halves or players who look like they're playing in a back three, that we play that way. No, no. I, I think it is. I think it is particularly with reference to this Arsenal team. I can't speak about other Premier League teams because I don't care about them or watch mm. them enough. But I think it is becoming increasingly difficult to define. You know the way in which we play by just you know listing one formation. As you say, it's it's very different in that possession. Sometimes it's different depending on you know the zone the ball is in. The you've players. used you've used the key word here. Yeah, zones. And that yeah. is uh, a word that I think we're hearing with greater frequency than ever before when we're talking mm-hmm. about the game and when we're listening to Mikel Arteta talk about the game. He uses that word a lot, mm. you know? So mm. it's about getting players in zones within the structures of, uh, you know, a certain passage of play or when we have possession here, players need to be in their particular zones, et cetera, et cetera. I think that is the more important word than almost formation when you're trying to analyse what Mikel Arteta is, is doing in terms of setting his team out. Yeah, absolutely. There's kind of little areas of the pitch designated to each player. And Saka's, Saka's was really interesting yesterday because I thought at times, you know, he was, as you say, the third central midfield player. But then when we went forward, he quite often would go on the outside, you know, which allowed mm. Bemiang to, to come infield. Um, we actually, I can't remember who it was now, so you have to forgive me, but uh, somebody asked somewhere about, did we notice Tierney not playing Saka in a couple of times and Saka right. being a bit frustrated by that? I mean, that was you mentioned one of them, that yeah. one instance. Yeah, I hadn't really noticed that, so I'm interested to hear you say that. Okay, uh, let me have a look here. Um, you owe me a Willian question, I think. Oh, I do, don't I? Okay. Uh, it comes from the Discord, and it is from... God damn, i got to get my glasses on. <laughs> I just, seriously, I can't... You sound like William. You sound nearly as old as William. Uh, God almighty, I can't read it. I really need to get my... Arse Lord. I should have been able to read that. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> uh, dear the Lord of Arse. Um, he says... <laughs> have you guys and I, I can make that out now because I've uh, changed the font size from 12 to 48 um, uh, great. yeah god almighty I need to get my eyes lasered he says have you guys noticed a decline in Willian's general athleticism this year I remember him at Chelsea having noticeable zip and acceleration he's obviously not slow but he doesn't look like he's moving the same like his legs are heavier I thought he was mostly bad again against United well, I don't think it can be a completely rapid decline. I don't basically what I don't think is uh, at the end of the season for Chelsea, he was sprinting around everywhere, and then he had four weeks off, and then he came back slow. I find that implausible. Um, maybe there's been a more gradual decline in over the last few years. I mean, I think that's sort of inevitable at his age. Mm. Uh, certainly he doesn't look like a player. I wouldn't describe him as a player possessing much zip right now. I, and, and he, he has a style that's quite, um, 
low key it feels like to me like he he almost feels like one of those players who kind of ghosts through a game without exerting a great deal yeah. uh, certainly that's what I'm seeing at the moment almost in that kind of uh, Ozil-esque way where it's like oh you are covering ground but you never look like you're breaking mm. a sweat to do it um, so I thought he was okay at United I didn't think he was great uh, but I thought that he facilitated Bellerin quite well, and probably in my to my mind, probably better than mm. Pepe would have done. Mm. But I don't think that he's not. He's not. I mean, he's not pulling up any trees. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I what think do you think? I thought he started the game really badly. Um, right. In possession, he was careless. I see exactly what you're saying when you when you talk about the um the coasting i think he is coasting that's what i'm seeing anyway when i look at him i thought he was better in the middle part of the game and i think your point about him combining with bellerin is fair mm-hmm. but i i just don't see i just don't see quite enough um from an experienced player in key moments of of the game um like there was I would a, venture, like sorry, I just to counteract. Yeah, I would venture it's a it's a pretty good pass for the penalty. Like yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not I'm not uh, saying I'm not saying that wasn't a contribution. Um, yeah, you know, but it's a it's a it's a fairly basic pass. Push the ball outside the the fullback and let someone run onto it. You know, um, mm. I don't think it's a pass that only he and he alone could play. You know what I mean? Um, but what, uh, there were a couple of things that I didn't really like. I, I think there was a moment where he got injured quite early on, mm-hmm. and it took him a long time to get himself back into the game. He sort of wandered around like he was hurt, and you know, everyone yeah, yeah. should everyone should just ease off a bit to let him get back um, back on his feet. I didn't particularly like that. Um, and I thought he finished the game at a time when we were under pressure, you know, after we'd scored the goal and we began to sit deep, I, I just saw him walking. I saw him walking at times when he really needed to put more of an effort in. And Mm -hmm. that worries me because I think at 32 years of age, you have the experience to know how a game like this goes. And if you're not either physically able or willing to do what's required, I I, I can't help but worry about that. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong. I just have some concerns about it. I think more and more it looks like a three-year deal was ridiculous. Yes, um, I mean, I, I can't argue with that at all. I mean, I, you know, even if I think he was uh, okay and not better than that really yesterday... I desperately worry about what he'll be like come the end of this contract for sure mm. for sure um and I and I do agree you know that the that he's not the Willian that he was 5 years ago and there's no doubt about that mm. uh but you know it's really interesting isn't it i mean Arteta i'm not going to say he's hung his hat on this player but he he you know he did seem very strident that this was a player that he wanted and so i wonder if he's maybe going to be a bit more patient with him than he would with certain others it's, it's going to be mm. interesting to see I mean you know Pep, it's interesting we had the big conversation on Thursday night about 
you know, didn't Pepe score a great goal and weren't Willock yeah. and Nelson brilliant? Pepe doesn't get off the bench and Willock and Nelson aren't even in the squad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the nature of the fixtures. Um, yeah. And when you make decisions like that, you you live and die by the result. And Arteta got the result yesterday. So I don't think we can be critical necessarily of those decisions or the way he set his team up. I just have some concerns about what Willian brings to the team, which I don't mm. think is a great deal at this moment in time. Now, maybe I think I, I heard Arteta saw, uh, say something about how you know, he physically had a little bit of catching up to do um, right. last okay. week. But, yeah, I, I'm just, you know, the way you see something and you go like, that's not that's not right. And you can't shake the nagging doubt. You just yeah, can't yeah, shake yeah. it. And I've got I, that I, nagging I, doubt in my mind about Willian. I hope I'm I wrong, that, but. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. I think that. I agree, he had a really bad start to the game uh, yesterday. And I, I do sometimes think that a player's first 10 minutes can often inform like the feeling about them for the rest of the game to a certain extent. Mm. And, I, and I think he did improve. Maybe he waned again after that. But, but I, I can't sit here and say he's been any great shakes. I can't say he's been brilliant. Uh, he's certainly not been he's been he was sort of efficient against Fulham mm. he's anonymous in a few games after that um it's not clicked for him yet uh whether it will in time before he uh passes away from old age who knows <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah he you know he did he he looks every one of his years at the moment i would say that's fair that's very yeah. fair um, what about oh, slightly away from the game? This Pete on Twitter at two gun P three seven three says, did Hasfami lose his job because a, he offered Mustafi a new contract or B, he couldn't convince Mustafi <laughs> to sign a new contract. Uh, good question. I mean, you're the Hasfami expert here. We had another question from, uh, bah, bah, bah. Uh, mildly bewildered, who's had burner mm. streaming on Twitter. He says, with Raul sacked and now Husfami having had his role cut back, cut back to death, um, is Tim Lewis the second most important person at the club after Arteta? Really interesting question, that one. Um, because if you speak to some people, they'll say, oh, you know, Vinay's... Uh, the new chief exec and he's sort of shaping up the structure and, you know, giving things a bit of a, a change and a slim down. And if you speak to some other people, it's not Vin and I's name they'll mention, but Tim Lewis. And, you know, clearly he is a guy with significant uh, influence, I think, mm. on the ownership. Um, he was actually at the, the home game the other day as well. So he's a kind of growing presence at the club. I would not be at all surprised if, uh, his fingerprints are, are kind of on this shift. I mean, you know, Arsenal were very keen to um, point out that this is Huss's decision, but I think it's a decision <coughs> that he, he... I think it's a decision that he made... Sorry. How can I put it? Cough. I, 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 think, I suppose it's a decision that he made based on parameters of the role change. <laughs> Jump or you're getting pushed. Potentially. Potentially. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but sure, what yeah, I do yeah. know is that they were going to change how how this was structured and how mm. that role operated. Um, 
And, you know, Huss is a really interesting character in this whole thing. I mean, he's kind of the last of the Gazidis yeah. appointments, which include Sanyei, they include Mislintat, they also include um, people like Darren Burgess, who's gone, you know, now Unai Huss, Emery. Unai Emery, uh, a whole kind of executive team that have moved on. Uh, Huss, opinion of Huss really seems to vary based on who you speak to. And a lot of agents found him quite difficult to work with. Um, but then agents are very difficult to work with. Mm. Um, and, you know, they get annoyed when their clients don't get what they want. So you have to take that with a slight pinch of salt. But I think what is clear is if you look at Arsenal over the last few years, there have been a number of contractual issues, haven't there, in, mm-hmm. in both the first team and the academy. Mm. So clearly it's an area, I think, where we could do better. Um, and there is apparently going to be a new appointment. So mm. hopefully Arsenal improve in that regard. I mean, we always go back to Raul's talk of, you know, players are going to get to two years and then decisions are going to be made. I mean, that just hasn't, you know, been borne out to to reality at all. It mm. hasn't come to life. So I'd love to think Arsenal could operate with that sort of efficiency in the contractual part of their business. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's the interesting thing now is that we're on the second iteration of the post-Wenger yeah. Arsenal. So the first yeah. one didn't work. Gazidis, Sanyehi, Mislintat, um, uh, Emery, and now Huss, you know, gone, out the door. Um mm. You know, uh, we don't need to go into the the ins and outs of of all of those departures, but you know, this was the team that was put in place to to bring Arsenal into the post Wenger world, mm-hmm. and now we're in a different space with different people. And I think there is perhaps a sense um, that it's a bit more. Uh, I don't want to say old-fashioned because they're doing obviously things within a, a modern structure, but the idea of a manager and a technical director, you know, you could draw parallels, couldn't you, to some extent. I know it's not quite the same thing, but to Wenger and Dean, if you like, mm. mm-hmm. um, the way that they operated. Dean was a, you know, um, a board member and a director, but de facto director of football. Actually, do you know yeah. what was really interesting? Uh, apropos of nothing, I was I was quite interested to hear in the Arsene Wenger book where he talks quite early on about one of the clubs that he's at. Um, whose father is it? Someone's father. Oh, I don't know. It's a player's father or something like that anyway. Right. God damn it. I can't remember. Anyway, he talks about him as a director of football at a club. And I always, I just was listening to it laughing at his like, what is a director of football? Someone who directs the traffic of football. Yeah, just of made me laugh anyway. Um, but but the <laughs> the Arteta Edu thing is maybe a bit bit like that, you know, in that mm. they're going to work together as a team. And um, yeah, I think it's clear that that Tim Lewis has come in and had some recommendations to make at the very least. Yeah. It does seem that way. I mean, mm. the timing all adds up, doesn't it? I think um, it, I think the Edu-Arteta relationship is clearly going to be really important. There is someone needed to kind of do the the contractual piece mm. of that because that's yeah. not Edu's bag. Um, but, you know, in theory, that role is operating with certain parameters. You know, you're allowed to go to X or whatever mm. and, you know, you get the best deal you can. It's not something that is, you know, a technical role, not something involved in, you know, player selection or anything like yeah. that. So shouldn't make a massive amount of 
difference uh, to Arsenal, I, d- I don't think. Mm. Okay, let's have one more before we go. It comes from Brad Dennett, who's at Bradley underscore Dennett. He says, opinions on first names being on the back of shirts. Seeing mm-hmm. Thomas on Partey's shirt feels a bit odd. But that being said, Pierre 14 sounds just right. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, uh, you know, there were Arsenal players in the past who wanted their first name on shirts and didn't get it. Sesk. Sesk Fabregas was one. He wanted Sesk on the back. Uh, Quincy, Owusu Abeyi, wanted Quincy. Mm. Had to have Owusu Abeyi. There were a few, I think, who kind of fell foul of the regulations, which seem to have been relaxed somewhat now. I mean, Deli Ali. Uh, has dispensed with Ali, hasn't he? And he's he's Delhi. Um, but Tomas, I, I imagine, I mean, that's just probably what he was called every single day of his life, particularly in Spain. And uh, he wants to stick with that, which is fair enough. Mm, it feels a bit you, continental, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It does. Um, d- is that an objection? or No, no, that- no. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. It just feels quite continental. It, yeah, I can't imagine like Rob getting that on the back of his shirt. Do you know what I mean? Um, Do you think they should be allowed to have, like, nicknames? Well, I mean, yes. Uh, Hasselbank wanted uh, Jimmy on the back of his, which is, I don't his believe. Name. It's his name. I, I, I don't know if it is. I think Jimmy is his, an abbreviated version of his name. He's presumably he's a James, or I don't know. Is he? Um, but he wasn't allowed that. Gymnasius. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, nicknames would be cool. I mean, I don't care, really, with the name on the back. I mean, Oba. Oba would be nice on the oh, back. Oh, yeah, it's Jarrell Floyd Hasselbank. That's it. It's so, Jarrell, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but he wanted to have just Jimmy. wasn't permitted. I think he probably would be in this day and age. You know, self-determination is, is much more of a thing. Mm. Um I'm trying to think. I mean, especially with the Brazilians. I mean, you know, Gabriel. He's he's gone with Gabriel, hasn't he? He's forgotten all about the the Magalhaes, and thank God he has too, because none of us could really say it. Um, yeah, just trying to think if there are any more that would have been. I mean, I you know, Omri could have just had Thierry, couldn't they? That would have been you know, uh, nice. But I mean, it's not something I'm massively invested in. Yeah, I, think I remember sh- Arsene Wenger talking about Quincy and saying, we hope that they will allow him to have Quincy on the back of his shirt. Quincy is a star name, mm. is what he said at the time. Well, I mean, did Socrates have Socrates on the back of his shirt? Not yeah, he Papastathopoulos? did. Maybe that was just down to space, to be honest with you. Could be. Is um, there a font small enough to get it all on the back of a shirt? I mean, Cedric, is, is he Cedric or is he Suarez? On the back of his He's shirt. He's got Cedric on the back of his shirt. So we've got quite a few of these guys. Yeah. Um, something I wonder about as well is, you know, we're in the midst of a, a generation of double-barreled talent, you know, because of the way that kind of, uh, you know, marriage is changing and things like that. So, mm. you know, you've got your Alexander-Arnolds and your Oxlade-Chamberlains. But what if those guys have kids with each other? Do you know what I mean? I mean, not specifically those two. That's Alexander-Arnold, Oxlade-Chamberlain. Well, well in- we're going to need to find more room for shirt names, is what I'm saying. Just go, or go with first names. Go with first names. Or whatever nickname you want to put on there. Hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. S- Spoonface. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. You should be able to pick. It's 2020, guys. Come on. Jimmy the Hat. Yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> Jimmy the Hat. <laughs> uh, Johnny Table for a head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
I like that. that. Would, imagine that, and the people would be like, you know, part of the reason they've signed him is the, the amount of money they're going to get from all the t- shirts being printed with Johnny Table for a head on the back. Yeah, exactly. They're going to recoup that transfer fee within the first few weeks. Who's your favourite player? Johnny Table for a head. I like him. Yeah. He's good. Getting tattooed across my back. <laughs> I like him. He's got four legs for a head. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. Um, we'll leave it there, will we? I think we should. Yeah, why not? Why not? It's a happy day. It's a goodly day. It's a goodly morning. We'll let people go off and continue their basking in the uh, Arsenal 1, Manchester United nil. Uh, long overdue win, but a very welcome one, a big one, one we should all enjoy. And uh, hopefully you've all done that and enjoyed this podcast as ever. Thank you indeed for being here. Uh, we really do appreciate it a great deal. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.